And we are live, guys, man. Appreciate y'all all tuning in as y'all get in here one by one, man. This is a big live stream, our first roundtable out of a series that I've been wanting to do on the channel, man. And I had to get some of the best and biggest names in the HBCU spaces to join me today. We'll start out Mr. Emery Hunt, man, from Football Gameplay and also a contributor at CBS Sports Network, Network man. Emery, I appreciate you joining the show. Always a pleasure, man. Appreciate you inviting me. Absolutely. Then we got my guy, Jamie Walker, man. This guy does it all. Play-by-play announcer, color analyst, very vocal on social media, man. Supports his North Carolina A&T Aggies well on social media, man. Jamie, appreciate you coming on the show, too. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. I got BJ Jones. Been on the show before. Me and him done some stuff with Allscript on Scotty's channel. BJ's a contributor for HBCU Game Day, man. BJ, appreciate you as well. Man, how's it going, Blue? Thank you for having me. Doing good, doing good. And finally, man, I, this guy needs no introduction as well, man. My guy, Dr. Cavill from the inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Also, one of the biggest names in this HBCU space. Had to get him on this first roundtable, man. Dr. Cavill, appreciate you joining the show. It's a pleasure. Good to be here, Blue, and, and commiserate with all these gentlemen. I just ask to make sure they don't make me look bad. I'm good. <laughs> We are just lucky to be in your space, sir. <laughs> Absolutely, man. But let's let's get this thing started. The hottest news from across from across Twitter, any social media, any platform right now has been HBCUs and conference realignment. USC UCLA kicked off moving to the Big Ten. It just set off a chain reaction. We've heard FAMU, Jackson State, Tennessee State, all these names be thrown out in terms of conference realignment. So, Emory, we'll start with you. Do you do you foresee an HBCU trying to make that jump to the FBS level? And if so, who do you who do you see being the best candidate for that? Are you talking in terms of individual teams or yes, individual teams? Well, you know, for me, it's, it's it's you know, I'm looking at it from what I would want to see type perspective, and who has let's say some things in place, and I'm gonna just speak from a facility standpoint, right? Stadium standpoint, um, you know, there are some. Teams that are that are definitely in line there, Grambling, you know, for the history, Jackson State, Prairie View, uh, FAMU, Tennessee State, um, Alcorn, I feel like has a, a really good, you know, fan base and crowd. Alabama AM is is expanding. Alabama State has phenomenal facilities as well as Southern. Um, so and, and low key, you know, I know we talked about this before on the spaces before, but I mean I know endowment is not directly tied to athletics, but hell, Tuskegee has money and they have, you know, a lot of people that's back in Tuskegee. So for, for me, it's just like, okay, I think that would be initial, a great start off point. Um, and, and it's, you know, if it, but realistically, it's probably, you know, of Jackson State, FAMU, Prairie View, right? But what I would like to see is, is those teams, Texas Southern is another one. Um, that has, you know, good facilities and, and a lot of stuff already in place. So I feel like that's uh, my Pollyanna way of looking at it. But I know Dr. Cavill can can speak was realistic and, you know, what can actually happen. But just for me, for what I would want to see, those I would like to see, you know, make that move. And, and quiet is kept. I like the way Morgan State is heading. You know, they're making some some things happen. Norfolk can possibly be included in that category so there's a lot of schools that are that have that are have the right mindset it's about now can they actually make it happen 
And Dr. Cavill, this is going to come to you because you know the business side and the sports side. For you, which HBCUs are, are you looking at as the best candidates to make a move, whether it's D2 to D1, F, FCS to FBS? Well, first, let me say, Emory, you you fine, man. You covered yourself well. You said, I'm looking at this for what I want. As long as you do that, how can I argue against that? (laughs) No problem, no problem. But as you said, Blue, um, one of the things I like to look at is the business characteristics. And I'm going to try to make sure I'm not too long-winded on there, uh, not to bore folks. But um, there was a study that I had a chance to do and familiarize myself with other studies that are out there. Some of the characteristics I think that we should consider, um, not say you have to, but consider um, institutional characteristics. You know, student enrollment. We know student enrollment drives athletics. For those that are not familiar with this, your enrollment is, for most institutions, a large part of the operational cash and revenue that you'll have at an institution. And for most, it's anywhere between 70 to 85 some close to even 90% of your revenue comes from student enrollment. Higher student enrollment, the more revenue you have, the more likely you can make the move. Uh, the other one would be for me, academically, this is where the nerds, all y'all that are nerds, get out of this conversation. I'm sorry. No, I'm not <laughs> going to apologize. Carnegie classification. What is your academic measure? Um, and conferences out there take this seriously. Even the ones that you don't think so, i.e., SEC, y'all think they just a football, basketball factory, but they look at academics as well. Four, uh, three of the four last expansion members were AAU institutions. I'll say it again. Three of their last four members they expanded with, not only were they blue blood programs, strong programs, regionally in terms of what they could do for television, but they were also academically strong institutions. And the fourth one is right on the hump of being an AAU institution in Oklahoma. The other ones y'all familiar with, Missouri, Texas A&M, and Texas now. Uh, athletic donors, what is your donor base? Emory Hunt talked about this a little bit. You better have donors. You can't make this move without money. Athletic budgets, what budget do you have now? That's something I know B.J. Jones fires off all the time because he hits me with my Clary Atlanta University. They ain't got no money. They got a little money. They just hiding it from you. It's academic. <laughs> it's, it's Okay. Other one is revenue uh, long longitude. I like to look over a period of time because you got some of these programs will spend money here and there, get a different president. I want to know what you've done over a period of time. So I'm going to take it on a longitudinal study over the period of time. What type of money do you have and what are your aspirations? Uh, football attendance. You know, a lot of folks love to look at attendance. It's only one of the measures. I do take it into consideration. And this is for all my Jackson State folks out there. I love you. But tennis is not the only thing you're going to have to have to make the move. I'm just saying. NCAA APR for a year, 2009-2010. Look at the APR for some period of time because that is important. It may be going away, but as long as we have it, you need to know what a team and institution is able to do over various sports in terms of the APR. I'll leave it there. There's some other ones that I like to talk about if we have time, which are marketing characteristics, but I don't want to hog it up. If you can come back to me if we have more time, I'll tell you about some marketing aspects that you need to make sure institutions have. With all that said, I would like a combination of the two in terms of that. And I think HBCUs have to go as a group, a minimum of four, if not an entire conference, to move to FBS. So to sum this all up, the first thing they need to do to make the move is they need an invite. Ain't nobody talked about the invite. Who's going to invite one of these folks? 
I'll leave it right there. Hey, let, let me jump right in and just say South Carolina State. I forgot them too because I don't want them in my mentions. Uh, so yeah, it's already there. <laughs> they already got you blocked potentially. It's all good there. But, but we'll go to my guy, Jamie. Being a North Carolina A&T fan here, North Carolina team has been very vocal that that's their goal eventually. All their moves to the Big South, to the CAA, have been in, in, in terms of a long-term goal moving to FBS. For you, Who? what schools are you looking at and what factors are you looking at personally to four programs to make this move? Well, I speak a lot as a fan when it comes to North Carolina A&T because, of course, I'm you know a graduate of it. But I think a lot of times we get caught up in what we've been as far as expansion as a university. It's the largest HBCU in the country. And so when you're looking at the methods and things that they want to do in a, as an academic institution, some of the things that they've been speaking of is really being in the same footprint as uh, a possible uh, Research One institution. Um, I said something recently on, on Twitter uh, when it came to Jackson State, and they're working on being the same kind of university, which is dynamic in that they really haven't talked about um, doing that, leaving a conference until kind of the publicity that came in with their possibility or really just hypotheticals when in going into the Big Ten. And so... Um, I think it shows a lot of pride and a lot of, of resilience when you are willing to stay within an HBCU conference and still accomplish those same goals. And so even in talking about North Carolina A&T, I think you have a bevy of, of, of choices. Um, just looking at your footprint and what they said about moving into the Big South initially, saving on travel, um, those institutions where were in line with what the strategic plan of the university was going to be. Um, it made sense, not necessarily for me as a fan, because I am a fan and a, a really um, a loyalist of HBCU conferences. And I love those conferences, you know, a lot of tradition, a lot of uh, pedigree and everything that North Carolina A&T has been able to do. They've done it from the MEAC conference for the most part. And so, well, MEAC, CIAA. And so when you're talking about conference realignment and what that next level is, really it just comes down to what the administration and, you know, powers that be feel that they are in the best position to operate within their strategic plan. As far as I'm concerned, it's a wait and see approach because I can speak at it or speak to it from a fan, but from an analyst, it really just depends on what they feel is the best course of action when it comes to the MEAC. Um, there's been, you know, as far as, you know, there's been schools that have moved other than North Carolina A&T, but North Carolina A&T seems to get the business when it comes to actual moves. Now, I will always give FAMU and Bethune-Cookman credit because the SWAC, I feel, have always felt is a better suit for those institutions because they just go well with the SWAC. I mean, it's been... You know, it, 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 you can see the banter going on in, in Twitter uh, as far as, you know, what they are, but it just matches perfectly. It's like a hand in glove when it comes to the, to the sweat. And so, you know, those moves are, are, are great for them. But as far as North Carolina A&T and even Hampton, for that matter, uh, when Hampton decided to make the move, you know, even fans from my institution gave them the business about moving to the Big South, um, which was probably unfair as well. So we're, we're getting some of that blowback as well. At the same time, each institution has to do what's best for them. Now, as far as the goal, as far as moving moving forward and what those 
um, what those goals are as far as possibly moving from FCS to FBS, it will depend on the conference, kind of like Dr. Cavill said. I don't think they would do it as, a, as an individual school, but as that, as the institution continues to grow, those kind of goals will still be there and people will still wonder. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I know BJ will come to you next. Me, you and Scotty had the same conversation after, you know, the whole Big 12 in Jackson State uh, or Big 10 in Jackson State thing broke. For you as a, as a Southern as a southern grad and everything, would Southern be one of those schools you're looking at as a team that could potentially make the move? Do they have the facilities, the money, all these things that Dr. Cavill just listed? Yeah, right, right now, Southern could. Uh, would Southern? Pro- pro- you know, probably no. Um, and, I, and I think that the reason it's been, uh, Dr. Veal, uh, Dr. Cavill brought this point, um, if Southern were to go, it would have to be a collection of schools uh, that Southern fans, alumni, and administration are comfortable with um, that have already have a, a established uh, rivalry and relationship with. And I think those, th- those things are, are key. And, and the thing about going to FBS right now, uh, that I always warn people about is that we don't know what FBS is going to be or what it's going to look like uh, moving forward. Uh, we can see right now that the schools with the money, the power, uh, looks like we're going to end up with the power two here in a, in a little bit. They're positioning themselves to break away from everything. And what does that remainder uh, look like? One of the advantages of FBS, FBS schools right now uh, outside the power five is the money that they get from the college football playoff. Um, they get more money from college football playoff than they do from television contracts. Uh, those leagues outside of the Mountain West, the Mountain West and the, and the American are a little bit different. Uh, but Conference USA, the Sun Belt, that that the, their money comes from uh, the college football playoff, about nineteen million a year for the conference. The big boys want to cut that money off. They're saying we're sharing money with you, and you're not doing anything. We don't want you to get this money, so let's just pull away. We're done playing charity case with with everyone. Now, what does that do to the everyone else? And I think that's the wait-and-see approach that I have. And I think that's going to be the wait-and-see approach that a lot of people in our administrations are going to have moving forward to kind of see what's going to be uh, the landscape of college football, in particular at the FCS and the FBS levels. I mean, absolutely. I, I think me and you echoed that same sentiment. We don't know what's coming for the FBS, so moving right this second could be a little bit risky. But, Dr. Ville, I wanted to bounce it back to you because you kind of beat me to my next question, and that's what would the SWAC as a whole moving up look like for you? Because I know a lot of the argument is the Valleys and some, and, and even sometimes even the Texas Southerns get thrown under the bus as saying there's no way those schools would have the resources or the ability to move up. What would the SWAC as a whole moving up look like for you, and what would that encompass? I thank you for that question. I think it's one that's important for us to really get grapple with and get an understanding on. And before we talk about the conference making a move, I did want to go back to the marketing characteristics of individual institutions, and then I'll move right into what that may look like for a conference and tie it all together. Some other things uh, that we need to consider, and these gentlemen have touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to make it extremely clear for those that are listening. What does that look like? So we talked about the internal characteristics in various different ways, right? Well, some of the local market characteristics that we must consider is what is your corporate base? Again, to make this move is about financial obligation and financial resources. So these marketing characteristics are going to tell you about these resource allocations outside of the institution enrollment numbers. Corporate base. What is the population of the area? 
which oftentimes is going to dictate your corporate rates. It's certainly going to dictate your ability in terms of enrollment to some degree. Also, more so your attendance, which are all measures that are important. Specifically for HBCUs, for those that may not know this, we're talking about African-Americans, Black folks in general. The schools are open to everybody and have always been there, but that's the population. So what is your African-American radio market? Are you a top 200 television market? And where do you fit in that marketplace? What is your age of folks in the area that you're lived in, which is important, because that's often going to be your spending power based on that age, mean, are they gainly employed? And more importantly, household effective buying income, because based on these measures, going to tell you what is the likelihood for institutions and or, in this case, a conference as I pivot, to what does that look like? One thing that we know about the leadership of the conference which we shouldn't ignore is Dr. Charles McCullen, who just recently was named uh, the chair of the NCAA Division I basketball, to give you some indication of the respect that his peers have for him. Not to say what other folks have. Everybody has their opinion. It's fine. But I'm saying at least your peers, which also means in terms of your president and chancellors, who are going to ultimately have to make this decision when they take it to their board. We're going to make the final call. What does that look like? Well, anything that we know about Charles, he's talked about all of them being one, these 12 institutions. So if they're going to go, they're going to try to go as one. So what are some of the things that we need to understand? First thing that needs to come is television. Right? We already laid these characteristics. What is the television money? Well, if you're able to get the television money uh, as a conference, if you would, that means that you can feed it to the smaller institutions that have not been able to build up their facilities, which is why we're getting questions on Pine Bluff Valley, not to disrespect them, or even Prairie View in terms of even though the facility is nice and newer, the uh, capacity may be on the smaller end. But you're talking about growing these. Well, what is going to help you grow these is the revenue, and the quickest way to do this is the television money, i.e., that's why SEC and the Big Ten are off the chart. And let me make this plain and simple for folks and when they want to know expansion, whether there's going to be one institution in terms of HBCU or four or old conference. Just think about a pie. Let's just make this simple math. $17 million would be a television contract, let's say over 10 years, that's $17 million a year. Well, let's say there's 17 folks to the conference, right? 16 members in the conference office. You divide 17 million by 17, right? That's a million apiece. Well, for you to do conference expansion to go up 20, you would need that institution that you're talking about to at least bring in a million dollars. And if you're gonna bring in two, they need to bring in $2 million. If not, if you go to the president and saying, hey, currently, and we'll make it real nice, we'll make it $13 million so we can do it in the swag so everybody can get this. 12 teams plus the conference get a million, um, gets a million. So that's $13 million. You divide that by 13, everybody gets a million. For you to expand, the next member has to bring in a million dollars. Tennessee State, Clark Atlanta, because I like to talk about them. They each have to bring in a million dollars, which means you would go up to $15 million to divide that by 15. If not, when you went to the presidents and say, hey, we want to expand, it sounds good, they're going to be like, okay, what did they bring to the table? Well, so, well, Tennessee State only brings a half a million dollars. You know what they're going to say to Tennessee State? No, thank you. I don't care how excited y'all get. If they only bring in a half a million dollars, they're going to say, 
and they thank you. Or Clark Atlanta only brings in a half a million dollars. No, thank you. But let's say that Tennessee Strait brings in a million and a quarter. Clark Atlanta brings in $7.50. That's a total of $2 million. They might say as a collective, all right, we're at $15 million. Everybody stays whole with a million dollars. And if they bring in more than that, they certainly, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, when we can we sign up? Because now we're going to increase our pot of what the SWAC pays out to each institution. That's the simple math that goes on, whether you the Big Ten, SEC, the SWAC, SIAC, or any other. When they tend to expand, that's what they're looking at. What percentage of the cut of my revenue at the end of the year when the SWAC writes a check? Am I getting more, the same, or less? And that's going to dictate whether I say yes, no, or maybe. You know know what's fascinating, uh, Dr. Gaville, is – you know, hearing you speak on that, it, now I'm thinking, okay, you brought up the, you know, the TV contracts and, and you know, how that's how, what TV looks like and what they look for. Man, it makes it makes sense to talk about Clark Atlanta because of the, the latter part, the Atlanta part. It makes sense to talk about Morgan State because of the Baltimore area and what and how booming that is. It makes sense to talk about Texas Southern and all these other schools that are in metro areas to where it can help. That's huge. So, yeah, and the the good part about these some of these HBCUs is the fact they are in Nashville, Montgomery, you know, Birmingham, uh, Pine Bluff, you know, even though it's not as big. But still, you got you can grow. You can grab that Little Rock uh, market, Houston, you know. So it's 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 great to think about that because it's it's bigger than, in my opinion, you know, FCS D2. Is more along the lines of man, you know, what cities are these schools in? And to your point, man, okay, what's that that base of the city and and your potential for growth uh, reach looks like? Because damn, they are in major metro areas. And I mean, I think Absolutely. you, I think you probably, I think you can even expand. I think Alabama A and M and Alabama State both can reach into Birmingham too, because that, I mean, of course, the game is in Birmingham, but I mean, they're really and truly placed on perfect sides. One in Montgomery, one in Huntsville, and Huntsville's a, I'm from Alabama. Huntsville's a growing city. I mean, that's that's not a joke over there. But for for you, Jamie, looking at it. Would that be something that interests you? Almost like a, all these HBCUs move up together, possibly bring back in A and T. I don't know what the travel costs will look like, but for you, when you when you hear all the all the HBCUs need to move up together, w- what is your response to that? I think only if it's logical and that it makes sense. Because uh, from an economic standpoint, are you you know one of the the things that was presented? You know whether um, you know people believe them or not is the travel cost. Uh, when it came to shifting conferences. And so if you believe that is still a a thing, then you still are looking out uh, for your best interest in, re- in regards to travel. Although they have moved or decided to move to the CAA, and now you're going up to the Northeast where you're going to play the likes of Monmouth and, and others. Although uh, in football-wise, they've decided you know to, to hopefully – with enough teams divide that up as far as divisions are concerned in North and South division. But in basketball, for example, you're still, you know, doing, you know, the traveling that you would do in, in, in any other conference. So I'm not quite sure what travel, what the factors of travel would be, but I think it does make sense um, from both a cultural and economic standpoint to stay together. Uh, what you want to do and one of the, the great features about the SWAC really over its time 
um, is that they have made strategic moves to stay together. Although they have, there has been some periods of time where some teams, um, are, you know, look to go to other places. For the most part, those moves have been as as a strategic unit, and so you would love to see that continue in some kind of way. If you could have all, you know, especially the major HBCUs, be able to be economically prudent and stay together and be an economic force that they are able to maintain what they're able to do from an academic and athletic standpoint, then you would love to see them stay together. But I don't think you have so many different dynamics when it comes to each institution. You're looking, you know, not saying it's not realistic, but you have to turn over those books and make sure that you're able to to maintain and stay within those conferences. You had teams that have, you know, made the leap up, those Winston-Salem states, those Savannah states that ended up having to go back to, you know, their original conferences um, that they moved up from. So if it doesn't, you know, I hate to use the cliche, but it, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. No, hey, I, that's that's a that's a very popular saying when it comes to this. Now, BJ, you know, you've talked about that it, this could happen if you took a subset of the teams from the SWAC. You talked, I've heard six to eight, possibly ten, depending on you know different different dynamics for you. Uh, this is a two parter. Which schools would you identify as the ones as the SWAC if they wanted to move up as a as a quote quote conference? Who would go? And also, what would happen to the schools that didn't think that was financially? possible for them or decided to stay at the FCS level, would you look at a merger with the MEAC? What would happen to the schools that possibly wouldn't make that FBS jump? Oh, man, that's that a solid one there. Um, I, I think that you would um, – we're talking about teams that would probably go. I think you would actually have to look at budgets first. And if you're looking at it from a budget uh, location standpoint, you would have to go with Alabama State, uh, Texas Southern, uh, Prairie View, uh, Southern um, – uh, people like to throw in Grambling and, and Jackson State. I think that they would have to do some work from the uh, athletic budget standpoint. Um, as much prestige as those programs have uh, from an athletic budget standpoint, they're not as high <clears throat> as those teams that, that that I just mentioned. But I think if you could get them um, in there as well, I think that definitely those two. Um, so I think, you know, with Alabama State, uh, Texas Southern, Prairie View, Southern, uh, potentially Grambling and, and, and Jackson State. I think that that, that would be uh, the core that you would be, um, you know, looking at. And I think, you know, if the other schools decide, hey, we're not going to do this, I think that at that point it becomes interesting. Do, do you go out and do you reach out to a North Carolina A&T? Do you reach out to uh, a Morgan State or, or a Norfolk, uh, a Tennessee State uh, to try to make that, you know, that jump collectively? Uh, and, and what would that new – uh, unit uh, or conference, uh, you know, what, what would it be called? Would you join Conference USA? Uh, would you go into that as a unit? Kind of what would be there? And then with the remaining schools, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, you know, would they at that point go to the Division II level uh, to try to get some of those teams to, to move up, uh, to, you know, kind of fill some spots? So a uh, lot of questions. And what I've learned with this last round of coverage, conference expansion is to never say never. Because if you would have told me a year ago that USC and UCLA would be going to the Big Ten, I would be asking you. I would be asking you, um, you know, to kind of lay off the drugs as heavy as you're using them. You, we've gone beyond recreational use at this point. 
<laughs> uh, I, I, I agree, man. Covering FBS football, I probably would have said that you didn't know what you were talking about in terms of college football. If USC would be playing Rutgers at 11 a.m. in a few years, but <laughs> a lot of talk about TV money has been in, in this conversation on social media. A lot of people aren't happy with different contracts, the ESPN contract, a lot of talk about streaming platforms. This has been everywhere. So, Jamie, I'll come to you first. For you, what do you think the current deal fits what the SWAC and or MEAC is bringing to the table, or would you like to see a new contract negotiated at a higher price for you? How are you feeling about the TV deals right now for the SWAC and MEAC? Well, what I think is you're talking about older deals that were reflective of what was going on at that time. So I think when you're talking about as much as the buzz comes in where we need to redo these deals, we need to do this, we need to do that. You have to realize that the same people were not in place when these deals were established. So when it comes to innovation taking over and, and things of that nature, and we, you know, it's kind of like the shiny new car, you have to realize that there was a process in which those kinds of deals happen. Now, I'm a proponent of innovation, um, definitely. Uh, I've been on and still are on um, several of, uh, of, you know, these mediums that people um, talk about all the time when it comes to, to things. So I won't pick one over the other. Um, I won't go on one agenda or the other, because if you turn on a certain platform, hey, chances are you might hear me there. But at the same time, you have to realize that the interests of the schools, especially economically, um, are different for each institution. So I think when you have the opportunity to make money for your institution in other ways, especially through TV deals, you just have to realize where you can get those eyes, those advertisers to kind of be before you could just say, we need to redo this. We need to redo that. I'm a radio guy. When it came to getting, you know, the, this report of this demographic is doing this, this is where we have these ears this is what we're doing here we need to go do promotions here because these are where the people are there are factors when it comes to deciding what deals are that you have to understand what a company or medium is worth or what you are worth to them as well as what you're you you feel you are worth and that's a difficult question when it comes to um when it comes to hbcus and institutions in general because no one really knows what that is. You have to go out there and shop yourself. You have to be able to say, this is what we bring to the table. But I think if you get a variety of mediums to be able to see what the market is for your product and also the cultural aspect of your product that maybe a, a streaming medium or TV medium for that matter respects that will give the full features of what your institution does is out there hey, I'm all for it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with renegotiating, but you also have to understand there's two sides to, nego to the negotiating table. There definitely is. And Emery, uh, come to you because you, you have some time with CBS Sports. You've been in this television area for you. Would you like to see more? I, I think the biggest critique that I've heard a lot of people are they don't want it to be exclusive to ESPN or ESPN Plus or everything. They want to see HBCU Sports on, on CBS, on Fox, on HBCU League Pass, et cetera. For you, what does that look like? What, In, in your opinion, we talked about the Legacy Bowl, how there wasn't enough media coverage. What what do the, what does the SWAC and MEAC need to do to get those extra eyes on them and maybe promote themselves better across a multitude of networks? No, it's a it's a great question. It's multi-layered, and 
you know, I don't, I want to make sure I'm not speaking for CBS. So I'm a tap dance yeah. around that. Mm-hmm. But I will say this though. Um, first of all, social media is not a real place. Um, and you know, so I know as loud as folks get on social media, they just got to go outside and realize like as loud and constant as you guys are uh, talking about HBCUs on social media, when I'm out broadcasting the games at Morgan state, I'm counting the fans in the stands. Like you would think based off social media, they'd have, you know, 70,000 people at Morgan state games, hanging on the buildings and standing room only. Some guys even standing on the field cause you can't fit them all in. So I'm saying that to say, you got to, to, to Jamie's point, you got to make sure everything that you can show to a TV network is lockstep of what you're preaching. You can't say we have a great brand. Okay, let's see YouTube numbers. And all you go, you Google Mississippi Valley State YouTube, and all you see is band pictures. You know, that that's not going to cut it. Like, and, and those band videos are not getting thousands of views because it's not, it's from a thousand different fans. You as the school have to, and that's what I brought up on the spaces when I spoke about infrastructure. Your infrastructure has to be different. You have to look at our articles. You got to staff up in that communications department, get kids to write those articles. You got to get kids to, they, I mean, you don't even need cameras now. You got phones that are just as great of quality. So get out there, film some stuff to boast up or boost up our YouTube channel. Now we have that part. Do some things, interview coaches, make it a weekly thing, have that. And then you have the game and then you get people out to the stand. So now, okay, the football part we're not worried about. The basketball part we're not worried about. We got, you know, butts and seats. Look at our online presence and also look at what we're doing on our own from a cultural perspective. Hey, we got all of these things that we're bringing to the table. These numbers justify it. So we want the same money as the Big Ten, you know, because we bring in a different demographic. Uh, we got a strong of a you know, buying power as others. Um, but the, the back end has to really, you know, um, line up with what you're saying. And just going back to the topic just for a little bit, just ideally what I would like to see if those teams move up um, and leave certain teams behind, what I, I, and this is again, this is what I would want to see. Um, go and grab, you know, the, the SIAC, the CIAA, Langston standing over there consistently winning, bring those teams in, make those teams FCS, and that's how you circulate the money. So now if you're an FBS program, if I'm, Southern and I want to and I need to fill in you know before we get into conference play I need to fill three games oh great let's schedule some FCS schools you know and now we're scheduling you know Langston we're scheduling Pine Bluff we're, but we're throwing that money back them to help them get their their weight up to maybe move up and then we create a separate conference amongst themselves but I think initially going back to this topic it's about making sure your house is straight before you start to show it to potential buyers. I love that comparison. And Dr. Phil, I'm, I'm going to come to you. I know you got a lot of behind the scenes on this one for you. One, what do what do TV, I guess, markets and think what, what would play the biggest role in the swack and me at getting more money? Is it, is, is, is it eyes when, when you get that game? Cause I know BJ's talked about on a Thursday night game, the swack has to push more than, 100, 200,000 people when they get that Thursday night Bethune Cookman Alabama AM game. What are the factors you're looking for as these new TV deals are renegotiated over these next few years? Understanding the marketplace. Uh, the biggest thing that you need to do is understand the marketplace 
uh, get professionals that understand the marketplace. And I'm not talking about the social media experts. I'm talking about those that are in the business of doing television and branding uh, in terms of that. But it's important also to note there's like essentially three contracts associated with the television money with the SWAC that people may not be aware of. The Celebration Bowl is one contract. It's one separate contract television-wise to do that game. It was negotiated. It was re-upped. And I think the numbers associated with that are pretty solid if you look at the FCS marketplace and what they're getting in terms of the finances associated with that. I think that's a pretty good deal. The other one is the MEAC SWAC Challenge. Even though it's the bookends, it's separate. It's paid directly essentially to the institutions, and the money separate goes to uh, the SWAC. I think that's pretty strong as well, and it is as solid um, as you would. Now, the contract that probably most people are talking about is the overall contract for games, and people may not realize that's for all sports. That's the football package, which uh, governs the um, Thursday night games, which includes money that goes straight to the institution uh, above what the SWAC is getting paid, right? Those Thursday night games. Um, it includes some Saturday night games at the end of the, or Saturday games at the end of the season throughout the year. It includes those um, huge classic games, which is unique uh, partnership that people may need to understand because there's some guidelines out there that confusion folks when they're trying to talk about the television framework of that. And then you have the championship games, and that's championship games for all sports. That's part of the package as well. I think that package, package obviously, for a lot of folks needs to be redone. I think anybody that knows that includes the SWAC office. It's no secret. It needs to be updated. And part of that is because previous administrations actually signed exclusionary deal. And for folks that do not understand exclusionary deal, let me tell you that. You can tear your, your rights. Uh, unfortunately, when this contract was originally signed, it gave exclusionary deal. And Emory Hunt is very smart in terms of making sure that he separated himself from where his pockets are in terms of CBS to make sure that he's not in the way of negotiating the deal. I like that. That's smart. That's how you do that. Jamie, <laughs> DJ Jones, we need to learn that to make sure we get our <laughs> money right. We don't play with it. So I'm going to put that yeah. out as well. This is not inclusive of Texas Southern University or the Southeastern <laughs> Athletic Conference. This is Dr. Cavillo providing information that I've learned over the years about the business of sports. So just so y'all know, I'm not talking on behalf of anybody. With that being said, when you talk about that exclusionary part of it, it means all rights go to the conference. That is in the bylaws. I don't care what you said or whatever. That's in the bylaws. Now, just because you read a framework of the bylaws, you got to understand that there's subsets of that uh, in terms of what's going on. And we don't get our hands on everything uh, for a reason um, that is not inclusive to us, unfortunately. I like to get it all myself. But with that being said, when you talk about these components of it, of the contract, it's important to understand that ESPN, just like they do with ACC, you don't think ACC would like to renew their contract? Compared to what they see in the Big Ten and SEC, you think ESPN going to run back over there and be like, oh, man, we sorry that y'all didn't know what y'all was doing, ACC, and you signed this long contract. Now, the grant of rights was smart. It's working in form. But that's the business side. The business side is going to protect their interests on that. And so you need to make sure you bring that to the table. Now, with a new contract, I hope what is one thing that's going to be considered is making sure that you break it up in tiers with your primary rights, secondary rights, tertiary rights, 
or ways that you can break it up and consider about moving forward with a new contract once it is comes up and it's updated. So those are some things that I think you want to consider when you go to the table. Now, when that talks about as you're in exclusionary deal, um, there could be some behind the scenes negotiating with folks where you talk about, hey, we may not get what we want now. That's fine. But when we go to the marketplace, if you don't help me out with some of my stuff here, don't worry about us allowing you to bid on a project. We're going to take it to the marketplace. We're going to do what we want. And sometimes that's where you can get a little lean back and people will overlook the exclusionary contract and then maybe provide you more room to allow you to do some things, which includes the part where you can do home games, where you can use YouTube, right, and have your own rights because they'll be like, all right, that's regional in nature. We'll let you have those rights as institutions. And or you may be able to come back and say, hey, as we're getting into this, and prepared to renegotiate this bid, let us get some of these rights back. But it's important to understand a contract is a contract. Right? Now, you break the contract, be prepared to go to court and deal with those ramifications. It's not saying that you can't break it, but you need to be prepared of what that may look like if that institution wants to take you to court, and you need to have lawyers that are prepared to, to negotiate that. Now, a contract with a Classic institutions with a lawyer writing that contract can be more different than a corporate contract that has corporate lawyers writing the contract. Just again, as I use ACC when they wrote that convoluted contract to make sure they had the grant of rights. It's so strong that the Big 12 copied it as well. And do you see University of Texas and OU immediately go in the SEC? Yes, why? Because they don't want to give over those rights because they want that money won't follow you. And SEC don't want them because they can't utilize Texas and OU to benefit them because they don't own their rights to be 12 do. Same thing with the Pac-12. Notice that USC and UCLA are not going to the Big Ten until what? 2024, 2025, unless they can buy it out. Because what? The grant of rights are tied in. Those contracts by corporations and anybody that has been let go by a corporation understands just how strong those folks in those corporate offices tend to be able to write their contract. So one of the things that the Big Ten and SEC have learned that was fascinating to me when I found out about it, guess who they get to negotiate their contract? They don't let people in the office negotiate their contract. They actually go to television executives that are either retired or in between jobs. They get inside information, and they allow them to help the lead conference to negotiate the deal and that's how they really get good deals so to sum it up what we're talking about is the current contract is what it is you have to live with it as soon as it's up then you want to go to the table get tiered rights so you can separate their rights give some rights to one group give it to another group and then you can take all that pot of money home and then give it back to the institutions which will help them by way probably make the move to FES that many people are talking about uh, man, I love the insight. And then BJ, coming to you, there's been a lot of talk about when this renegotiation comes up, what is a fair deal and who are some of the providers, T television, streaming, regardless of, for you, who do you want to see get into the bidding process and looking at it as, as we sit today, because we can't predict the future. What do you think a fair renegotiated deal for SWAG, MEAC media rights would look like going into the next few years? I would say that one of the things I've learned when we talk about television contracts and you see the, the conversation 
uh, happening over the, on uh, social media is people think that uh, television contracts are charity cases. Like they are benevolent, you know, funds are just <laughs> given out. Uh, those are not charity cases. Those are earned. Right? Those are earned because they're going to say, hey, uh, you know, how many eyeballs are you are you generating? How much attention is getting on your products? Because the advertisers want to know that. Uh, you know, the you know, advertisers doing those blocks, they want to know that. And you can't go, well, if. No, 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 no. I want to know what you're doing. We can't talk about if, you know, as if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. Uh, but but <laughs> what are you doing? And that's why it I tell people it's so important. Uh, it's so important to make sure that when we have those opportunities, that matter if it's ESPNU, ESPN3, ESPN2, that we're tuning in and looking at those games. Um, if you look at the the, the, the contract for the SOAC, the MEAC, uh, it's pretty similar to what the Missouri Valley has. Why did I bring up the Missouri Valley? Well, because those are the three most visible FCS conferences in the nation. All right, Missouri Valley, MEAC, and the Southwestern Athletic Conference. So those TV contracts look pretty, pretty similar. Don't look very far off than what the Sun Belt had before, you know, added these, the, the previous Sun Belt deal and what Conference USA had. All right? right. So people have to understand what's the baseline first. And I think when people think baseline, they see what the Big Ten is doing. They see what the SEC doing and think us. Let me break this down for you. Last year in 2021, uh, there were 81 games, that uh, college football games, that drew over 3 million people. All right? 33 of those teams, 33 of those games were in the Big Ten. 31 was in the SEC. The other was college football combined. All right? So we have to know what the baseline is uh, before we can kind of say compare and contrast and talk about where we should be. Now, where we should be, hey, it doesn't matter where we play. I'm going to be watching. All right. I've been to YouTube. I've been to uh, school sites. I have an ESPN uh, uh, a deal that, 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 I, that I have to make sure I have ESPN3. I pay every September 60 bucks. I just go ahead. Just pay it up front. It's paid up for 12 months. That's how much I that's how much I care about this. Uh, it's my passion, and it doesn't matter what network we're on. I'm going to find a way to watch it, and that's the mentality that that we have to have, and make sure that we're tuning in not just for football, but going in and tuning in to basketball on those Tuesday nights, those Thursday nights. Make sure that we're doing that because that's going to give Doctor McClellan and the powers to be a little bit more ammunition when we go back and uh, negotiate these deals. I, I love the message there and just kind of shifted a little bit, but on the same topic of exposure, social media has been a giant mm-hmm. conversation surrounding HBCUs. I believe the 1400 club posted that there was a school in the SWAC that hasn't posted since like the end of September. And it was almost, it was so many months before they posted a single bit of content on their page. Jamie, I'll come to you. What are SWAC, what are HBCU programs doing well on social media, but what are some things that you've noticed that you would like to see improve? I feel like Jackson State really opened a whole can of worms when they brought Dion in. Everyone said the old standards of social media are different now. We got to be posting videos, posting photos, whatever, every single day, multiple times a day. So, Jamie, for you, what do you think the next steps are in terms of of social media exposure for HBCU programs? Well, I think you have to bring in and you have to use what you have at these institutions. And what I mean by that is you have to look and see who's using social media. It's your students. They know more about your their institutions than those that are still trying to get accustomed to social media. 
So I think using what you have at those institutions is a great way to get your content out. Uh, and what I mean by that is one of the things that um, Coach Prime mentioned when it, when it came to attracting Travis Hunter was bringing him to homecoming. Well, along with that, displaying what they did at homecoming, what kinds of activities took place. All of those things is what a kid looks at. And I work with high school kids here in, in the metro Atlanta area. And I can tell you, they're all over social media. If you look at these TikToks, if you look at Instagram, they're all over it. You know, as an educator, I can't stand a, a, a cell phone. But I will tell you that that is what they do. So when you're attracting athletes, you have to put what your institution does best. And it's not saying you have to be like others, but you have to show what you, what makes you unique in that uh, a student or athlete wants to come to your institution. So what they can do, post regularly, number one. That's the, that's the, the simplest way um, that I could tell you. Post those great things about your institution and those teams um, that they do on a regular basis so that these kids can see what's going on. It's a shame that there are kids that still do not know what historically black colleges and institutions and uh, universities are. It's a shame. Even within this this light that has been, you know, this renaissance that has come back within the last few years, that there are still students in pockets of America that do not know what our institutions do. And so what you can do, and I see this really on the Division II level. I got to get kudos to the Clark Atlantis, the Morehouses. They have stepped up their social media so much in the last couple of years. And you have to give some of that credit to Mr. Sanders, who is the, the if you want to talk about self-promotion, his name would be beside the <laughs> beside the word because he, he is the gr one of the greatest self-promoters there ever was. And what he did was change the way that universities actually address social media. Even though he, he's in his 50s, he is a master of being able to promote. So I think universities need to follow that lead and just simply post more about what are the highlights of their universities and start off there and then have these kids, whether it be by work study or, or just kids that are interested, whether or not you have communication programs there, have these kids use social media to highlight your school. You can be there to, to, you know, regulate what the messages are because, of course, with your branding, you don't want to say certain things or, you know, give off a certain vibe. But at the same time, you want these kids to be interested in your university. So just post, use social media to gain notoriety for your university. And Dr. Gavilla, I'll swing it to you. You've you, you've been a, you have a big social media presence. Regardless, man, you're always commenting and everything on people's posts, giving your input. What can what can these programs do, in your opinion, to increase their social media presence? And how is how important is it for the branding and and just the exposure that social media can increase for these schools? I'll talk about the latter first, and then come up to the first part. It is extremely important. It is the age that we live in. So you have to understand it. You have to figure it out. And you have to find a way to make sure that you can utilize uh, this source that will drive attention to your institution. And how do you do that? To come back to the first part of your question, you have to make it a priority. Uh, too many institutions, not just HBCUs, but obviously we're focusing on HBCUs in terms of this roundtable, is the fact that you have to make it a priority. Well, how do you make it a priority? You fund it. 
Well, the question becomes, how do you fund it? Well, they have to write me a check, and I will tell them how to fund it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in terms of, <laughs> but in terms of that, seriously, when you make it a priority, you have to fund it. So that may mean that you have to, um, athletics, use some of the money that you use from your game guarantees or some of the sponsorship that you use, or if you uh, have the relationship with your CFO and president, to let them know when they're doing a reorg or you're setting up to create a position that you prioritize in such a way that you can fund the position or two in the area that helps you have somebody that is dedicated. I know folks around this space talk about utilizing students. And I think there is some validity to that, but you still have to have somebody that manages the students. And we never talk about that. You're not just going to give a student to your university, which is a right. corporate, I mean, a huge business, and say, hey, let's, let me give you this name brand that we have in athletics and or the university and just go put stuff out there, and I hope you get it right. There, there are organizations that train folks in understanding how to utilize social media in the appropriate context to drive the focus point that you're talking about which still means that you have to fund it. So even if you're going to use students to support this in terms of, and these students now want to get paid, uh, this free internship, that ain't working no more. Just side note, this is somebody in the institution. Y'all might have did that. These students, they ain't trying to do that. They they cost a living, you know, and they got to deal with it too. They want some money. So you really got to find a way to fund this in all seriousness. And so once you do that, you can have somebody in the area that can create a structure that brings in folks that utilize the momentum of that. One of the best ones I've seen out there, and I've been trying to copy this model to let you know how challenging it is. And I have a lot of expertise and a lot of relationships at Texas Southern University, but it's been a challenge to get folks to find resources to support what that looks like. Oregon has what they Mm -hmm. call the duck cage. And they have somebody that runs it. And it looks like a man cave, if you would. And it has all these different television sources. And it's uh, housed underneath the Oregon uh, football uh, stadium, I believe it is, or the basketball. But I think it's held there. And what they'll do is they have folks during the game. um, And all they do is operate about pushing out content, pushing out content. Uh, But it is a strategy in a structured environment. And they pushed out from that and created, you know, a network capacity that does it even on a bigger level. But all these create resources. And sometimes we forget to get even get started takes resources. So one of the things that HBCU alums that want this can do is they can donate to their institution. They can finance it. And whatever you can give helps. So you can finance and talk to your athletic director, your CFO and or president, and say, hey, I want to fund this initiative about supporting social media because just to say it needs to be get, get done may be accurate, but it doesn't help for it to get done. You need the resources and the priority to make it happen. 
And this last question before we address the last topic, and you know, because I know you guys are all busy people, we'll, we'll go Emory then BJ. What are some, what what are, what's some content that you guys would like to see more HBCU programs pushed out on social media? Both of you guys have covered other college football programs from the P five to the Group of Five to other FCS programs. You guys see it on social media. What are some of the things that HBCU programs can produce to put out there on social media to increase their social media visibility? You know, for me, it's highlights, man. People want to see highlights. I can't tweet out, man, that was a dope throw by so-and-so, and and they don't see that for six weeks, you know, and that needs to be out right now um, while while I'm talking about it, right? Um, Highlights is key, and that's going straight from, you know, Twitter to YouTube, recaps of the game, highlight packages of the game. You have someone, you could have someone there just filming highlights, cut those up, and then boom, that you're, that's right there on social media. So when people want to see the next great HBCU prospect, they don't have to look far. This guy, okay, let's tag so-and-so's name in this because that's where we're going to look. So I feel like just pumping out more about your school, highlights, uh, interviews, you know, updating the website, number one, is, is also critical from player bios to stats to all of that has to happen. And to me, that's the simplest and easiest thing they can do to really get that that presence going. And live game updates, you know, I was about to call, call him coach, but he's like a coach because mm-hmm. he's coaching us. Dr. Cavill says it perfectly. You know, Oregon has that right there in-house. Make sure, like, you got to be on that. You, you already you already have guys at the game in the press box tweeting out stuff, you know, from representing the school. Man, just – Clip a highlight. You want you already have it streamed up on ESPN three or whatever, and, and throw it out there or film it, edit quick, throw it out there. And the more you can uh, do that, the more people will become more familiar with it. And however creative you can get with it, you know that adds more value. Think about how uh, during basketball season, how quickly everyone started to follow um, UMBC's Twitter account because of how fun it was making the basketball tournament when they upset number one, right? That's what you have to have. And that's something that, you know, HBCU, we we tend to, I say we as in black culture, drive the culture, right? So what we say is hot tends to be hot nationally, right? So it shouldn't be a problem to go viral from an HBCU account because we have the the pulse on what's funny, what's entertaining, what's, what's new, what's hip. And, it, and um, I think that's an area where HBCUs can really take off. Great point. Great point. Yeah, and BJ, you can wrap it up, but like some of the content that you would like to see, you know, more HPC programs post. I'll say this. I, I when 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 I was getting ready to go off to college, I remember uh colleges would send these mail outs. And I remember some of the bigger schools would have a double sided color, uh waterproof, you know, laminate. Hey, social media made it where the playing field is equal. All right. They don't charge you anything for Twitter. They don't charge you anything for Instagram. They don't charge you anything for these services. And we got to take advantage of it. And one of the things you do, like, highlights is a big one. But also, man, take advantage of that atmosphere. Show the world that atmosphere. Show the kids that atmosphere, that tailgating, uh, the, the student sections, the bands. Uh, show show that. Show, uh, you know, pregame in the locker room. Uh, you know, show you know, bits and pieces of the, the coaches' uh, speeches show the day-to-day. I mean, that's stuff that you can show a young man and you can reach him in a place like, 
you know, Oklahoma or California, where he doesn't have to come on campus, he can get a feel of that just by looking at his phone, something that he's going to do anyway. So I think, you know, once you're able to go in and you show those things, uh, it, it, it makes a, a big difference. Jackson State is doing an awesome job at it. They make it seem like everything that happens at Jackson State is the dopest thing in the world. And they, they have, they've taken it from athletic to everyday student life where they have a yard party or what have you. I'm going to make it look like the dopest thing ever. And that's why you see the applications going up. And they're going up from outside of areas where they're accustomed to getting kids, uh, the Mississippi, the Alabama, you know, uh, the, the, the neighboring states. They're getting kids from across the country. And that's because you're painting the picture for a kid and they already have a feel for your school and, and, and the great things you have going on before I take the trip, before I set one foot on campus. And it's by doing the thing that I love to do, which is looking down on that phone, looking down at social media. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, won't... I, I will say this hashtag yeah. D I love. Uh, Cause I know <laughs> Jones can't say it. And then <laughs> it for Jamie out there, you know, <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's right. Uh, because uh, to your point, I think what Jackson State has been able to do and leverage the fact that not only are they doing it internal for the institution, but they have now had other folks outside of that group that has magnified what the institution is doing. Because you look at the fact that Aggie Pride, they were actually number one in terms of institutional related mm -hmm. uh, likes and uh, marketing in terms of this platform. So shout out to both of those organizations to showing HBCUs in a framework that BJ just talked about, how to magnify your voice, both just in terms of your athletic and institutional measures, and then how to magnify, magnify it outside of that. So good points, and rental, uh, in terms of what you said, Emory, extremely point, uh, important to make sure you get that those films out there. People love the storytelling in terms of visual aid. That is so important to get that out there. I wanted to double down on that. And, and the, the silent, I would say the silent uh, support is always, it, you know, it's like the, I always use this example, you know, growing up, you saw Crisco on the stove. I didn't know what the hell that was, but I know when I got my first apartment, I bought Crisco. I just sat it on the stove because probably that's what, you know, I don't know what, <laughs> probably, I thought, you know, whatever it was, I was like, well, I probably need, I need Crisco. Didn't know it, never used it before in my life, right? So I know anytime I'm on CBS Sports, you're going to see the Raging Cajun helmet behind me. And I feel like, you know, even – and the school picked up on it, and they started tweeting out every time I was on. And, you know, it was pretty cool to see it go viral based off just me not even saying anything about the Raging Cajuns, right? And I feel like you there are some, some you know, uh, HBCU former players and analysts and reporters that are in the media, you know, on TV a lot. Show that it don't be afraid. You got Michael Urban up there every every time chance he get can scream to you like, man, get up there and promote. Whether it's loud or silent, it matters. It is that visual, you know. They they constantly see it to where they become intrigued by it, you know. And you know, before we get to our last topic, I'll, I'll two points that I heard in there. Doctor Cavill mentioned, you know, the free internship thing. Getting students to do it is really hard. At Auburn, when I was there, I had a bunch of friends. They call it War Eagle Production. Everyone makes just above minimum wage, and they sit right outside the stadium. Highlight videos, uh, big play videos, everything is tweeted out immediately, like in the game, like before the next play starts. They're already 
starting to get it out there. And then BJ mentioned a lot of people not even associated with Jackson State are getting content out there. I mean, you have YouTube accounts that have almost a million subscribers that literally just screen grab things that Dion and, and Jackson State football post out there, and they're getting millions of views on multiple different channels of that. So to have people repurpose the content and get it out there again and again and again is just outstanding. And also, I talked to a recruit. He's highly considered in Jackson State. I talked to his dad today and he said that watching and hearing about Travis Hunter's experience at homecoming he even though he might commit before then he's going to Jackson State's homecoming just because he heard and saw how much of a experience that was so like you said all that all that matters in a big way and the final thing give me your what are you looking forward to most in this upcoming 2022 season the hype is just out you know ridiculous right now Emory I'll start with you what is the number one thing you're looking forward to this upcoming season intended being through the roof across the HBCU landscape as loud as everyone has been on Twitter they better be as loud and functionally loud in these stands you know I call I call a lot of Morgan State games and I want to see the crowd show up and stay you know and, and be loud throughout and hopefully you know, Coach Wilson will turn that program around. I definitely think he will do so. But that it's not a for me, it's not about one particular team or conference. I think competitively we'll see again another competitive HBCU season like we saw last year, which is great. But I just want to see I want to be able to tune into a Valley versus Pine Bluff game and see it packed, you know, on both sides. I want to see fans in the stands consistently throughout these games, all throughout these HBCU matches. As much as you love your HBCU on Twitter, you better love it enough to be in there in, in the stands when a game starts and be there when it ends. You know, don't come at halftime. Don't complain that the game starts at 3 o'clock. Get your butt up and go to the game. Uh, I like it. Hey, attendance is, matters a lot. A lot of people like to talk about it. But, Jamie, man, I'm coming to you. What What's, what's the number one thing you're looking forward to church. next season? that's right that's right um wow blue um honestly two things really uh from a north carolina a&t standpoint um it's big south or bust and what i mean by that is if you can't win this conference this year i'm not sure what the outlook going into the caa is to be perfectly honest with you um secondly can those new coaches in the SWAC um, dethrone Mr. Sanders? Uh, and what I mean by that is can the continuity come in with this new action, this new buzz within the conference, these recruits, can they make it happen to be able to put the SWAC into the stratosphere? Those, those kind of the two things that I'm looking for. I like it. I, I, me and you talked about it on Twitter. A and T's got to win the Big South. If you South. if you lose to Bryant, Campbell, I don't like your chances against Delaware, Richmond, and a lot of those CAA teams. But BJ, man, I, I know you're excited for Southern. I'm excited for Southern after all these recruits coming in. So, what's the number one thing you're looking forward to next season? Oh man, uh, biggest thing, man, the new places in uh, uh, new faces in new places. Uh, what does some of these programs look like? Uh, particularly uh, my home program. Uh, and Baton Rouge, you know, what does that program look like? Uh, uh, does it look more like 2018 or 2019, or does it? Is it the travesty that it was a year ago? Um, and then the most important important uh, thing is the the, the SWAC. How competitive as a conference uh, it is? Um, you know, we've been accustomed to seeing you know 
two or three teams kind of run away with it. You kind of can tell what the championship game is going to be by the time you get to October. But is it uh, closely contested? Um, and, and, and and how close down the wire it goes. And then the SWAT getting getting key wins um, outside of the conference. There's going to be a lot of opportunities um, this year. You have Austin P on, on uh, Alabama A&M schedule. You have Stephen F. Austin on Alcorn schedule. You have uh, Prairie View with Lamar and some, some other things. So there are going to be some opportunities uh, to get some of those big wins. This is the year uh, that the SWAT cashes in and gets some of those big wins outside of the conference. That's a big thing. I know McNeese, I believe, is on all corn schedule, too. I think the other team on Prayer Views is Incarnate Word, which mm-hmm. was a big game last year that really hurt PV in terms of rankings. But, Dr. Cavill, I'll end it off with you before we get out of here. I'll let you guys plug social medias and where they can find your respective shows after this. But what's the what's the main thing you're looking forward to next season? First, uh, my first three colleagues, I like what they had to say, and I'm certainly keeping an eye on all those two, three things. But besides – that <laughs> Jamie just put the gauntlet down on his anti Aggies. I think some of the Tennessee State Tigers are probably saying the same thing about OVC um, in terms of what that looks like. Are they finally able to make a move and make a statement, uh, particularly as many of them are excited uh, as they move forward with the coaching change and everything? Then you go into the MEAC. Um, I have the top four teams. You know, in terms of what I'm looking at, and these are the programs I say you need to keep your eyes on. The number four, I have. Alabama A&M, I know a lot of folks are down with them, but they had a change at the defensive coordinator position. They've got a lot of transfer students coming in there, and I just think Coach Maynard can coach um, quietly as the Aggies probably looking down there to try to see uh, in case it doesn't go this well, they may be trying to poach him uh, with that being said. Um, so that's some of the things I'm keeping my eyes on in terms of what is that Eastern division going to look like. I think it's deep. Uh, the West has made a move, but the East has shown right now that they're the beast in many different ways in terms of what that looks like. And I think that starts with Alabama A&M uh, in the fourth spot. And then number three, uh, I have Florida A&M. They're right there pushing uh, back. What is What are they going to do at the quarterback position? That's the question I have. Um, are they going to be able to make that next step in terms of the quarterback position? I think defense are going to be solid, much like I said with Alabama A&M. They're going to be solid on defense. Obviously, take one step back in terms of Alabama A&M, what are they going to do with the quarterback position? I just think much about Maynard. He's always found a way to have somebody to sling the rock. So I think they get that done. Obviously, at number two, you have Jackson State. Everybody wants to know what the freshman is going to do on the defensive side as a defensive back and then as a wide receiver as you play in both ways uh, in terms of five-star recruit Travis Hunter. Then you have Shador Sanders, four-star in itself, coming back quarterback sophomore year. What is he going to do from that position? Is he going to get the protection from the front line? And it's scary to think of what he put up offensively with what everybody said was a poor front line in terms of not allowing them to run. And they were only solid at best in terms of the pass. So in a lot of ways, it could be scary. They're replacing some of the wide receiver positions. But generally speaking, you're able to do that pretty uh, solidly. But then you have number one spot, I have South Carolina State. I think they were young. I think they were ahead of the curve of what they were able to get done in the celebration bowl. So if you frustrated what the Bulldogs did, as I started with number four, the Bulldogs at Alabama A&M, you had the Bulldogs of South Carolina State to have even a bigger fight. They're going to be back for uh, more because they still have some people to question them in terms of their respect. And that's tough if you're in the MEAC in terms of what's going on there. I would keep out for Norfolk State, obviously. Wilson, 
How fast can he turn the rock? Not saying that he'll be up for the hunt, but I think it's going to be interesting there. And quietly, Howard Bison has some work that they're getting done. Can they transition and get all the talent and all the won't be? What we think about Howard Bison, can they translate that into wins on the field will be something that I'm curious about. Going back to the SWAC on the other side of it in terms of the Western Division. Uh, Dooley, he came over from Prairie View. The man has won everywhere he's been, uh, mostly championships, came up just short at Prairie View, and that was early transition. What is he going to do back on the bluff? Well, all of them are chiming. Everybody's coming together. It's exciting down there, and it painfully makes me sick. But I'm <laughs> uh, because I love when folks find a way to get it done and coming together. Then you just go up North Louisiana Grambling. Yeah, they have some trouble in terms of the media part, but they quietly down there get work, and there's a lot of folks in the booth, especially in the northern part, and they seep over into Dallas. They seep into Houston, talking all that noise. They excited, so it'll be interesting to see if they grab the Tigers. The problem you have with all that, man, what I love is they play some tough schedules, and they got to play each other, so they might bump each other up being so good. So the Panthers and Texas Southern University – Right might be in there, which means brings me to Texas Southern University, where I'm fascinating to see what that young quarterback, Andrew Body, I believe he's the real deal. Last thing I would look at, there's four quarterbacks in the swag from the state of Texas. I'm not sure when the last time that happened, and I go to B.J. Jones because he does the homework for me, and he's my football guru, so I let him let me know if I'm off on something. But you talk about the fact that you got Andrew Body who was my runner-up for the Big Ben Award, only to Shador uh, Sanders that won it, and obviously he won national awards as well. So that's just there. But quietly, you got Trazon Conley. And then you have Demetrius Davis that transferred from Auburn. Check this out. Anybody that's familiar with football in the state of Texas, some of the biggest championship games were between um, the Houston football team over there where – Demetrius Davis is coming, up, right, in terms of that. And then Trayvon Conley was up there out of Dallas, the suburb coming out of there in terms of what that, in terms of Duncanville uh, as they would get it back uh, back and forth. So it's going to be fascinating. Can they bring on what they've seen success at the high school level? Uh, can they bring that to the SWAC and quietly sneak around and get it done for these two programs in Prairie View and Alabama State that a lot of people are overlooking, probably rightfully so, because of the bigger names and the bigger brands are getting it done. So I'm fascinated to see what those four quarterbacks can get done in the swag in terms of finding out what that looks like in so many different ways. Hey, I love the breakdown. That was in depth. Don't sleep on North Carolina Central. I'm just going to say that. I think North Carolina yeah, Central I is agree. scary. Yeah. They got a lot of talent coming back. Richards at quarterback is extremely overrated. They got a great O-line coming back. And that defense was young last year. And we saw how they stuck up on Alcorn last year. So I'll say that. And, of course, I'm riding with Tennessee State in the OVC. I already picked them. I think they're the best team top to bottom. Draylon Ellis is a name. I'm excited to see suit up for Tennessee State at that quarterback spot. But, guys, I appreciate each and every one of y'all for co- coming on the show, man. Some of the most respected names out there for y'all to give me a little bit of your time and come on the channel. I appreciate each and every one of you. But one by one, man, I'm going to let you guys uh, tell everyone where to follow you, where to check out your respective shows and content. Emory, man, we'll start with you. Hey, before I say that, keep an eye on Mississippi Valley State. Um, 
Jamari Jones is the real deal. And he was the number one JUCO quarterback in the country. They got him. They weren't bad last year in terms of Valley. They were competitive. Now they replace some pieces up front defensively. But I love their run game. Love the quarterback coming in. I think they'll be. I think they may flirt with their winning seat with a winning season. They were close last year. I, I like what Coach Dancy is doing. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at Fball Game Plan. Uh, subscribe on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/Football Game Plan. I got to get you guys all on uh, my HBCU college football kickoff show. I had BJ on last year. Um, it's every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time on Next Level Sports, which is channel 623 on DirecTV, 597 on Verizon Files. It's also on FUBU TV and all that stuff like that. And you can also follow me on CBS Sports HQ as well. And you'll see me doing Morgan State games uh, on ESPN3. So definitely want to get all you guys on individually, and I'll be reaching out to you guys uh, during the season. Hey, man, absolutely. And Jamie, man, let them know where they can find you. Oh, man, you'll find me all over. Um, of course, follow Literally. me on Twitter. <laughs> Literally. Um, Sport Voice JW. Um, you'll see me on the Black College Sports Network. You will also see me on um, ESPN Plus doing some SIAC games, um, either from the play-by-play or color um, spot. Um, and just, hey, you'll, you, you'll see me everywhere. And anywhere you turn on the streaming service of TV, you might see me. The busiest man in HBCU sports right now, for sure, man. BJ, uh, let them know where they can find you as well. Hey, you can find me at Twitter at Inside HBCU Elfball, uh, Inside HBCU Football on Facebook, BJ Jones. Uh, you also catch me, man, during the falls, man, in the Black College Sports Network. Uh, usually with Dr. Cavill on Sundays, man, we do a rundown. Him, uh, Charles Bishop, and Mike Washington, man, breaking it down uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, and then, man, uh, inside HBCU football, man, uh, Sunday nights uh, on the uh, Black College Sports Network. They'll be back once the season gets to go. Absolutely. And Dr. Cavill, I'll let you finish the show off. I'm sure a lot of these people know where to find you, but let but let the ones who don't know where to find you and where they can tune into your stuff. I appreciate it. I certainly will. Um, just wanted to say thank you first for bringing me on the show and giving me this opportunity. Great platform. Continue to do the work. I know you look at all FCS, but you made it a uh, a concerted effort to make sure that HBCUs get additional exposure on the FCA landscape. So I appreciate that. Continue to do that work. With that being said, great points you made in terms of uh, North Carolina Central Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. They'll get a chance to make that statement real early against AET. So I will be keeping my eyes on that. And then Emory said, I found out uh, being down there in Prairie View against the Mississippi Valley Delta Devils, that defense people didn't realize, and, and uh, B.J. Jones will collect, uh, make sure that I'm straight on this in terms of that uh, that no-fly zone. They said it was one of the strongest in the swag in terms of what they were able to do from the defensive back. And so if they can get some play from uh, offense with the quarterback that you're talking about, you're right on the money. The only problem they got, they in that Eastern Division, and it's deep. So it'll be fascinating to see what they can do in terms of what that looks like. The next thing I want to talk about is just looking at these schedules of some of these games to really find out what that looks like in terms of that. But we'll discuss that a little later. So you can go on to um, follow me, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I keep it simple. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. 
You can catch me on my shows Tuesday and Thursdays and Sundays in the fall as we will bring on B.J. Jones to make sure we get a little bit of football guru. We may even sneak on and bring these two gentlemen on here as well so they can give us some of that love about the screen, uh, um, other football platforms that they do in terms of Emory as well as Jamie. I want to be public about this. Emory reached out to me, sent me an email. It was sent to a account that I don't check very much. So I didn't find out until the season was over. So let me put this on the platform that I will be ready this time, Emory. I'll make sure that I, <laughs> I can join you. So sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, check us out Tuesday and Thursday with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop when Mike Washington is not on assignment. That's a running joke. Everybody knows about that. He's on the show with me every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 o'clock. That's Central Standard Time. We like to think that we're going to give you HB Sporting Fix, but we'll do it from a business perspective, and hopefully it's entertaining so you can learn something about that. With that, again, I say thank you. Let's get it on. It's time to rock and roll. The most glorious fro in America. Not the career. Yeah, by far. <laughs> hey, Huey Freeman like. Huey Freeman like. I'm a Brandon. <laughs> but guys man i promise you you're going to want to follow and keep up with all all our guests today man some of the best content out there right now anywhere you can get it and i promise you're going to want to follow all of us swag media day coverage meac media day coverage all coming very soon next week it's going to be a big week a big day next thursday man but for emory for jamie for bj for dr cavill for myself guys we are out for right now